Julie, thank you so much for doing this today. I appreciate thank it. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, I like to usually do like a little icebreaker question with people. Okay. Like what's one question you get asked so much that every time you hear it, you kind of die inside a little bit? Uh, well, I would be remiss if I didn't go to the default since it's the first thing that comes to mind right but uh unfortunately a lot of us get asked what's it like being a female guitarist and yeah that's that's the cringe one for sure it used to get asked more you used to get asked it more but i think it's still out there a little bit <laughs> when i first started uh doing this probably about uh so i started my blog about 13 years ago maybe mm. and it especially coming into uh hard rock and heavy metal as it was kind of getting modernized, you started to get a lot of, especially European progressive bands mm -hmm. that had female vocalists. Right. And, and then it was being, it was called female fronted metal. Right, right, right. <laughs> I kind of like, I appreciated what people were saying, but I was like, I was like, you know, I was like, we don't call it male fronted metal. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But I have to say, it is kind of nice to see that over the past decade or so, things have kind of changed for the better. Exactly. Yeah. Five, the last five, 10 years, it's really, it's amazing, like, what a big percentage of the working musicians are women. I mean, it's great. Do you feel more comfortable now, like, knowing that there's a bit more, like, social acceptance as far as, like, like not referring to you as the girl who plays guitar, you know? Um, well, you do still get referred. I mean, I think, I think you're just basically like, that's the only thing that's left is maybe you, you get, you know, a well-intended compliment that's with the wrong words or something like that. But in general, I never really felt bad and the world seems more accepting, but in general, like, I, I don't feel like anything in my life really changed, you know? I, I always felt like people that I work with accepted me and didn't doubt me because of my gender or anything like that, so. Mm. To me, that's really cool in the sense that like some of the other female artists that I've spoke with in the past. Not everybody's had that experience. Like I realize that, you know? So yeah, I, I know that, that, that that's not the norm and maybe I just got lucky. But. I was actually quite surprised in some of the uh, actually a fair number of the female artists that I've spoken with over the past, you know, years or so that a lot of them didn't have that experience as well because they do what they do and they take yeah. themselves very seriously. And if yeah. you're going to be in an industry where just like any industry, every industry more like is male dominated, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of, unfortunately, you cats have to go in there and work twice as hard to kind of break through the the macho arrogance of men who are like, wow, you, you play good for a girl, you know, whereas like, you know, like for me growing up, like I was I was a, I mean, I was I was a huge I'm a huge Dora Pesh fan. I was a huge fan of Lita Ford, the Runaways, yeah. you know, like all those bands. And, and maybe it was just my upbringing that I never looked at that and was like, wow. They're girls playing. Yeah. I think even if you get a, a sour look like that, when you first meet somebody that you're going to work with, it, as soon as you prove that you have every reason to be there as the next person, that quickly goes away. You know, so I think there's a difference between 
others in the industry and people that you work with versus like how the outside is like, accepted it you know what i mean so i think it's a lot easier when when it's just the people that you're working with because chances are they're they're mature enough to understand that it doesn't matter you know what i mean so probably about a year ago or so came across yes uh, like your videos just kind of showed up in my feed because i was following some other guitar players and one of the things that stuck out to me was i was whisked right back in time to the 80s when i was younger and all the shrapnel artists oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And guitar for the practicing musician yes. and stuff, you know yes. and I was really excited because Aww. it was so neat to me to see you had this like melodic capability to your songs and to your playing that was wasn't just like flying through scales. Like did some of your influence come from that earlier that stuff kind of like that Paul Gilbert Blue Saraceno kind of stuff like that? Yeah, I mean I I loved a lot of the shrapnel guys and uh grew up on that and grew up on both instrumental guitar as well as a lot of pop and vocal music and so i and not to say that i was trying to merge the two but i was just kind of always a lover of of hooks and and memorable songs and i kind of felt like well just because i play guitar doesn't mean that i should have to give up having a song you know i just had to find a way to say it on the guitar because i'm not a vocalist and so that was kind of my my plan with that and the outlet for the solo you know it's got its own time and place and that's all good but i just kind of always felt like i wanted to have some sort of a tune to go with it otherwise it was way too boring for me to just shred i i didn't particularly like to do it or listen to it and so i guess that's how we got here part of me wants to think especially in our conversation right now that the term shredder is probably as annoying as female guitar player because <laughs> it is it's so true though yeah i mean and it sucks that i mean in a way it sucks that both of those things have kind of like a negative connotation in any way like female guitar player it's like why do you need to specify it all and shredder it's like that's neither here nor there you know what i mean like why does that have to be a a, a negative thing shredder doesn't have to be not musical it's a it's become a very polarizing term <laughs> Oh, here we go again with the shred shit. Oh. No, I'm so used to it, though. You know what I mean? I try I try to take it all in jest and, and not to heart because that's a term, you know? It's out there. We've all heard it. I hear it all the time. I'm not going to take it as an insult. You know, growing up listening to hard rock and metal and, you know, I was, you know, I started playing guitar when I was like, you know, 12, 13 years old. Mm -hmm. It's almost like... You know, once you got to a certain point of learning how to play an instrument, you know, you hit a crossroad of like where you mm. want to go. Like, right. do you want to like completely excel and take take that instrument like to the mountaintop? Right. Or do you want to be Malcolm Young? You know, and right. I I wanted the Malcolm Young side of it, you know, because I loved rhythm and things like that. But my obsession and my love for solos and soloing. I felt like I got to live vicariously through, you know, Richie Kotzen and all yeah. those people. Yeah. But it wasn't until I heard Surfing with the Alien by Joe Satriani and Satch Boogie that I was like, there is a bridge yeah. right there. Yes, it is. Yes. I didn't catch from a lot of the guitar players before that. That's right. 
Yeah. Like, what's your thought on that too? Is that, do you, I mean, would you say that's, that's kind of fair or? I, I think so. I mean, he's certainly not the only one out there, but mm-hmm. um, I've just felt like guitarists, we tend to overplay and overwrite because we don't have to breathe to play our instruments. So we <laughs> never have to stop. If you are a vocalist or you play sax or any kind of instrument that requires breathing, you're going to learn a natural sense of phrasing because it's kind of embedded into your whole vocabulary because everything is centered around when you're going to need to take a breath, literally. And so just like talking, everything gets punctuated a little bit easier when you factor that in. And so for us, it's like we literally, our hands will keep going forever if you let it. And so I think that's kind of that plus the culture of playing too many notes and unfortunately the more kind of sport attraction of it to some people i i think the combination of those two things kind of misguides people a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. and that's too bad because i don't think that you know distorted electric guitar should mean that we've now gotten rid of any compositional anything because we can play a lot of notes <laughs> One of my good friends is Jordan Rudis from Dream Theater. He's so wonderful. What a cool, I mean, he's incredible, of course, but what a cool guy too. He's, he is like salt of the earth. Like he's one of my favorite favorite people ever. And, and I remember talking to him, you know, about the same thing. And one of the things he had said was he said, when this is your instrument, it's endless. Yeah, exactly. You can do it all. You can do little, you can do some. And he said that that's the exciting part about being able to do that is because, but you also have to kind of know where you're at in certain situations. Cause obviously in dream theater, you know, he can't just go through an entire song. Right. You know, like how he would a solo composition. Right. Exactly. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. Do you find it hard to have that kind of restraint? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's, I think that's kind of the name of the game is is just like feeling like your hands are tied a little bit because you can always add another note. You know, (laughs) when you play too many notes, there's always time to add a couple more notes. And so, yeah, 99% of the time, you're just like, you should have stopped here. This is where the period of the sentence goes, not like five words later. (laughs) And you don't want to discover that when you're listening back and you're like, well, that phrase was good up until I made it a run on sentence. (laughs) So that's literally what it is to me. And I've actually, it's funny to bring this up because I've kind of found a running theme between that and how I speak or how I write or how I explain things. And I'm like, this is very interesting. But uh, yes, it is a lot of reining yourself in and just trying to be in the moment and trying to figure out listening for, okay, where does this phrase actually end? And committing to that. It, it, that is the hardest part, and especially when it's all in the moment. So, yes, it's a lot of when you're feeling like your hands are tied, you're probably doing the right thing. That's why it's so hard to accept it as this is this is the proper course of action. I would also assume it takes a whole nother level of discipline to be like, you know, OK, this is me doing what I, I do. But yeah. now I'm doing someone I'm now doing something with someone else. I'm not the center. I've got to find my way to kind of go, you know, and. Yeah, but part of it is the 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 ego side of it, right? And mm-hmm. and the other part of it is is just again like deciding to commit to what's going to serve the music. Mm-hmm. And as hard of a commitment as that is, it's I think when you remember to look at it that way, it's a lot easier to do that because if you remember, hey, I'm on a pop gig, this is not my time to play too many notes. That probably helps you 
play less, I hope. <laughs> One of the things I was actually just thinking about when we were talking about guitar for the practicing musician was that, mm. you know, I remember getting that magazine, like I had a subscription mm. and I would get it. And I remember looking at the tabs and almost going into like a full blown panic attack. Cause I was just like, this is so much, but yeah. now with like, the, you know, we get, we have YouTube, we have, and then there's the, uh, was, was it Stitch? Not Stitch. It's, it's like gaming platform. I think people can also. Twitch. Twitch. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Stitch sounds pretty close. Yeah. I, I can't keep up with this shit. No, who can, man? I listen, there's only so many hours in the day. How much can you be accounted for? Like, God, you know, and even as a musician myself, I try to stay on top of it. And I feel like once I get one, like then all of a sudden it's another impossible. one and I'm like, yeah, okay, screw just, it. You know, know, I'm just. Yeah. Well, like I look at these platforms and I'm thinking like, okay, it's kind of made the world e a little easier for up and coming musicians to yeah. have access to uh -huh. learn how to play songs and whatnot. Do you think that there's an element of magic that has gone away from kids ha having to sit down and look at this tab on a book versus like picking things up from someone on the internet? Uh, yes and no but only because you still have to do the work and in a lot of cases because mm -hmm. just like tabs weren't always right and most of the time were wrong and you still had to figure that out <laughs> the internet is full of choices too full of choices and it's not like you're provided with hey this is the right path to learning or this is the path for you to learning and whatever now you're faced with here's a million and one choices and I don't know what the right answer is. Right. And you still have to go and spend the time and decode it and hopefully not pick up bad habits. So I, I think it kind of evens out with maybe then we didn't have the resources. Now we have too many freaking resources and you still need the, the guidance at the end of the day to figure out the right path. So I, I think it's somewhere between that. In a lot of ways, maybe it's harder to be self uh, self-taught because of that, because good luck again it's like so many distractions how how do you find what to do i was trying to learn a david crosby song a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago um uh what was it uh uh i think it was attraction in the rain mm -hmm. and he plays these really odd chords and like an odd tuning and i'm like i need i want to figure this out and so i go online and i'm looking it up and i go on youtube and there's like a college kid is like this is how you play it and i'm like yeah. oh this is incredible and i'm so and i'm figuring i'm playing it and then I played it for a buddy of mine and he was like, oh, no, that's just in standard. You know, you, he normally tunes it. We And I'm like, so there's I was like, so is this right or wrong? And he right, was like, exactly. Does it feel good to you? Does it sound good to you? And I was like, yeah, he goes, well, then, you know, and it's right. Yeah. If it sounds good, it is good. You know, the man himself knew. I kind of follow those teachings. I feel like you can't go wrong with uh, Van Halen dropping knowledge in the most uh, concise and brilliant way. But, but again, that's why I think it's maybe made no difference in the real big scheme of things, because at the end of the, of the day, you have to do your own work, right? Like it, right. You, you're going to take something from somewhere, but you're always going to have to decide for yourself. And the ears hopefully will trump everything else. That's that's my hope for everyone because the internet and having resources can really save you on a rainy day if you're if you've got some big question mark about some lick or some solo that you were dying to learn and that solves your whole mystery. I love that. You know, I wish I had that in certain moments. But at the at the same time, the value that comes from 
doing your own work and learning stuff by ear is just, I, I can't speak to it enough that it, it almost doesn't matter. I, I, I don't want to say to people, ignore all the stuff that I, that's out there. But if you can, <laughs> if you can just learn by ear and stick to that as much as possible, it'll serve you so much better. In my vinyl collection, especially all the records from when I was younger, you can tell which songs that I was trying to learn because they're the ones that have like little scratch. You, like, exactly. you can tell, yeah, I just exactly. over and over again was like, you know, trying to do that, you know, figure the song out. And then just the gratification of being like, wow, I can't, I figured out what that mystery chord was. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and you know what, like years later, it's, so much more than just the satisfaction of that or and and yeah the sense of accomplishment that comes with it is huge too that's nothing not belittling that at all um yeah. i can see how i'm going to end up dating myself when i'm going to be the person talking about i just missed the youtube a generation by a few years and i still had to do all my work back in my day we had to do our own way <laughs> like, like it's going to tell people exactly what time we're talking about <laughs> i feel that way right now a lot of times yeah i already do <laughs> i mean but because technology is going so freaking fast now like you don't you know you could be 20 and be saying that and it'll still be true music technology is also growing at a very rapid rate with yes. things like home recording and oh yeah do you do you spend more time at home like doing recording at stuff and then you do in a studio for yourself i pretty much always have so that's not that different for me. Not having to look at a clock constantly. It's better, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. definitely a, a... And I have to say, getting used to that does not prep you for doing sessions either. Oh. You know, you kind of got to give yourself a clock because then when you're put in that situation, you really have to stick to it and you realize that it's difficult. To go from doing your solo type stuff where you're you're the boss of you and like right. and steer, and you're, you're holding the wheel... Right. And going in and working with someone, say, like, you know, like Danny Elfman, where you're actually like projecting someone else's work. Yeah. How is that for you in your mindset? Like, is it a level of stress? Is it excitement? Like, I mean, like, what's that transitionary feeling when you're going from you to someone else? I wouldn't say it's stressful. I mean, I'm definitely usually excited about it, especially if the music's really good. It what really depends is what the artist is giving you, right? Some some artists have a really clear sense of this is a guitar play uh, th this is the guitar part I want. I came up with this, I wrote this, I recorded it in the demo, and now you have like a clear sense of exactly what they want. Or at least a guide of if I kind of prep this, it's probably gonna be somewhere around there. Right. And then you're gonna have the sessions where you have complete freedom over something and you have to try and read what that person is kind of wanting from you or whether they're really looking for you to just really just do you. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's what happens. And again, it goes back to if I put the goal or if, if I put the uh, priority on serving the music mm -hmm. and doing what I think is best for the music, that just seems to be the right answer, regardless of whether it's for me or for somebody else. Right. right? Like if I start with that intention, we can at least go from there and then tweak it from there. And sometimes the person wants something else in the moment and you have to figure out how to, how to do that. You know, that's, that's sometimes what happens, but generally you have a pretty clear idea of there's a set thing for you to play or at least close to it. You know, it also, it depends on whether it's like a solo or a guitar part, you know, in a song or something. So. 
And having to remember that when you're working on something that there's nothing more important than the song. Yeah, exactly. Like when, when you have a, a good grasp on what your role should be in that situation, it's a lot easier to provide that without those voices in your head telling you to do something else. So you've got like a lot of impressive gigs under your belt. Like you've been doing the Cirque <laughs> du Soleil for a yeah. while. You've got the the trio with Jennifer Batten and Gretchen Mann and Danny Elfman. I mean, these are like fucking incredible gigs, you know? Like Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's... Like and I, and I've watched you do all of them, you know, like online and I was just like you you couldn't kick the smile off your face if you tried. <laughs> well, like, I know. I did. Just try, right? No, I I mean, I would I always say like if you weren't happy with that, how are you going to be happy? You know what I mean? Like like you you'd have to be a miserable bastard to not be smiling. Like you you it's like maybe you're at the wrong spot if you're not happy with that. So <laughs> Those Danny Elfman gigs, though, like my first thought was because my sister-in-law lives out in uh, L.A. and she's a mm-hmm. huge, you know, nightmare before did, Christmas. Did she go to the bowl shows? I, I don't know if she went to those yeah. shows or one of the shows, but all I remember thinking is like, when I saw that that those shows, I was mm-hmm. like, that needs to tour. That needs. To oh, happen. yeah. Like, I know. Has there been talk of that? Maybe there is always talk. <laughs> oh, talk is always happening. Yeah, there's always talk, you know. <laughs> But will it happen is the thing, right? Yeah, I know. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, those were spectacular shows. I can't even imagine the like the rehearsals or the planning to get to that point. It's a lot of moving pieces. I mean, you're just 50 musicians on stage alone just to begin with. And the crew is like twice as big. You know, it's it's just it's so many people and it's it's such a huge production. It's incredible. To me, it's always been an incredible testament to teamwork and this whole like look at what people can do when there's chemistry and they all work together it's like unbelievable just watching that footage to me was just so captivating because i thought to myself i said that's like a musician's dream is to be involved with something so grand it really is and and it's something that has such a long history that's respected and beloved by so many people especially in los angeles you know it's 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 got a heritage it's not just you know big name whatever it's it's iconic music that means so much to so many people myself included and so it's it's a whole other thing and even if those people didn't realize it because i think a lot of people have even loved those that music and not put two and two together that they were all Danny, right? Yeah, you pretty much have to live under a rock to like say that you never heard that music, right? Like, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't know the Simpsons theme song. Like, literally, you know what I mean? Like, where are you going to find someone who's never heard that? In addition to that, you're basically hitting the road with metal royalty with like yeah. Small and you know the yeah. God, the Atomic Clock himself, Gene Hoglin and. God, Gene, it's so good. I know, I'm so stoked to finally get to do a whole tour with Death Clock because the one-offs leave so much to be desired. The audience is so amazing and so diehard and like second to none. You're not gonna find any any audience like that anywhere. And so to think that we're gonna bring that across the States is just such a fucking luxury. Uh, It's like a vacation, you know what I mean? Like you get to like play that shit and, and, and have people freak out like that every night. Like that's amazing. You gotta prepare yourself for like mosh pits to like the Duncan Hills coffee, you know, song. I know, I know. 
it's it's so much fun to like watch. You know what I have to say? Everyone is so respectful, and it's so fun to watch security guards help out crowd surfers in the nicest way. Where like they're letting it happen, they're letting you get all the way to the media pit, and they help you down, and then they escort you back. I'm like, I love it. I love it. I like I love watching that happen over and over again. It warms my heart. That's a whole nother level of intensity when you're playing dude yeah intensity of everything yeah everything how do you keep yourself from like running too fast if that makes sense no you're you make a really really good point the pacing pacing yourself is a real thing and yeah it's hard you know you have to like kind of you know what that might be something that Cirque really helped me with because when you sign up for the 10 10 shows a week thing that's the ultimate test of how you pace yourself because you want to go hard at those shows when you're next to all these dancers and acrobats and they're like going full out and there's so much energy and the music is so good and you know you just you really want to give everything but then you know you're not going to make the week you know and so you kind of you learn how to i don't want to say operate under a hundred percent but just kind of conserve some energy so i think it's become easier to translate that to to other shows um because they're also less physically taxing um you know so yeah it's more it's more in a mental way with with death clock but it also helps that Uh it's not a two-hour show you know and the animation like gives you a little bit of a of a breather and you know we have amazing techs and that helps a lot, you know? And so the machine runs so well that it really right. lets you just do what you do. And so it's a lot easier. And it's also really <laughs> much easier when you're not in that stupid costume. I mean, it's not I stupid. It looks great. It looks great. It's it's all over the top, whatever. But moving around in that shit, like, forever, when you're thinking about, like, oh, I could just be with Death Clock and just wear a, a tank top. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> way easier, you know? Like, it's not the same thing. Yeah. No, I mean... Yeah, it it does have that. I, I just remember the first few times where I felt that contrast of like, I go and I do something that's really hard and all of a sudden it feels easy because I'm not wearing this armor that I didn't realize it's like, yeah, it's going to freaking hinder you or at least feels like, like you have an extra layer of whatever. So when you take that off, it's like, it's like that parable of the, of the, the guy who said he had too many kids and people in his family. So the, you know, the rabbi or whatever told him, bring a goat in, you know, like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, when you take the goat out, it's going to feel like you have all this extra room. It's, so, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, everything's going to feel like, like a cakewalk after that, you know? You know, it's so funny. Exactly. That's uh, what it is. Uh, I'm sure you, you know Guar. You remember Guar, you know? Um, I remember, like, way yeah, back yeah, yeah. when... Um, like this was like in the nineties when they start, they used to do a handful of shows as, uh, called, as ROG where they wouldn't wear any of the costumes and you could still see how, even yeah. though they didn't have it, they physically still moved like, like they had the costumes. You're you know? moving like and you have so all this. Yeah. Yeah. Watch. And I just remember <laughs> talking to one of the guys after that, yeah. one of those shows. And he was just like, he, he said, it's so hard to like, not, to break the mannerisms of wearing all that stuff, even when you're not wearing it, he goes, he says, but trust me, I know it's not there because it. five songs in, I'm not like feeling like I'm going to die. You know? <laughs> like, 
that's that's exactly it that's exactly it it's like if you get used to doing it with the 20 pounds on you it's a cakewalk after that i've seen that setup that you have for the cirque shows and the guitar which is i mean it's it's over the top it's over the top it looks amazing i mean listen it's completely like theatrical vacancy on brand everything what can you say right it looks so much fun, and I, and part of me, like when before this interview, my first thought was, God, she's got to have a, a a guitar that shoots shit out of it for the death clock. To, like that would just be amazing. Yeah, you know the problem with that is that you have to get fire marshals involved, and you know it's a whole thing. I wish you could just randomly shoot fire in whatever theater you wanted to and wherever you wanted to across the country. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way with pyro. Oh man, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, in your opinion, what is an album that you think that everybody should own? Oh man, um, Queen Queen One and Two. <laughs> I'm like for everyone. That's probably a very important choice. Yeah. So, if you could play guitar for any band, past or present, who would it be and why? Like just for one night. Oh man, there's a lot of the man. I don't know. I'll go. I'll go with the totally like how I'm feeling in the moment answer that changes every day or whatever. But one time, I had a I had a dream that I was in Cher's band, and it was just like the coolest thing ever in the dream. And I woke up being like, "How freaking cool would that be? Like, it would be so much fun to be in Cher's band, <laughs> you know?" Like, so I'll say that one. I don't know. It just seems like amazing you know and that's funny because I, as, as you said that i pictured it like right when you said shit like because i always you know know she has these like big grand bands with these incredible yeah, players. yeah, yeah. are there some other artists that have ever approached you about being part of their ensemble at all or yeah i've had some auditions for for some like interesting people like that i don't know if it's like a super public public thing when you have when you didn't actually do the gig but every once in a while that kind of thing comes around and i'm i'm always all for it and uh you know it's i i i think we really need to like cherish the icons that are still around because we don't have a lot of them i think that's that's what i always walk away with i love i love that because there's so many of these iconic artists you know from so far back that are still going that yeah. i tell tell folks all the time you know even if you're just a moderate fan of somebody you should go and witness a live performance you should go see that yeah exactly i mean i have so many regrets already about people that i never thought i'd miss that i'm like embarrassed to say that i did mm-hmm. and you just think you're gonna have more opportunities than you sometimes do and it's sad reality of life so yeah every time we lose a legend i'm like I make it a point. It's like, okay, now it's even more important. Even if you don't really like him, I was like, go see Bob Dylan just once, just yeah. once while he's alive, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said the, one of the best shows I ever saw was a Bob Dylan show. And then one of the worst shows I ever saw was a Bob Dylan show. But <laughs> you know what? I saw a living legend twice in my life. That's it. That's it. That's really what it is, you know, because we're not going to have the, we lived in a generation that had him around and like, that's already rare, you know? I mean, listen, the fact that we had someone like Freddie Mercury and, you know, a Michael Jackson and a Prince and all these guys in the same lifetime. Bowie. 
<laughs> Bowie, you know, it's like, what are the odds of that? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's so true because, uh, like, and even as you were just saying that, I was so just like, I was thinking, God, that list, you know, Ronnie James Dio, like, yeah, these iconic legends that made such a huge impact in music, but yet you're just kind of like, oh, I wish I would have taken that Friday off of work. I know, I know. So maybe that's maybe that's like the the uh, the public service announcement of of today of today's podcast is like invest in going to see the legends whether you really like them or not. <laughs> you know, but that's is that is that really a horrible thing to do, right? I mean, no, that is really not a bad message. Yeah. No. Yeah. I guess the last thing I also wanted to tell you was that when. It when it became news that Nita Strauss had left Alice Cooper's band, you were the first mm -hmm. name in my mind oh. that I said, God, ne Neely Brush would be so perfect in that. Oh. Did it even cross your mind a little bit if, if that came down the pipeline that you were like, I could do that? I mean, I kind of knew it wouldn't because. I, you know, she made it so clear and I, and I knew that from the, even without her saying it, but I knew she wasn't leaving. You know what I mean? I was just really happy for her that they were allowing her to go and have another experience after being in that band for so long right. because she really deserved to do, I mean, she committed to that for so many years mm -hmm. that I was just really happy for her that they allowed her to do that and everybody wins. It would have been yeah. a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Well, you definitely would have been able to shoot fire out of your guitar. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, Neely, what else do you have coming up? You've got the Death Clock and Baby Metal tour that's coming out, which is going right. to be exciting, and that's yes. going to be a full-on tour. Like, what else do you have in the pipeline? Um, so I got the two songs coming out. Yeah, so that's big. I mean, I have not had a lot of time to release new music in the last few years, which is a great problem to have. But also, I want to get my as much of my stuff out there. Um, still doing Cirque every once in a while, doing. Uh, um, a few solo shows with this new songs. If you go to my website, website, there's a bunch of dates on there, so I know I'm doing something. <laughs> That's, you know, tell tell me where I need to be today. You know, again, and like you said, that's not a horrible problem to have. No, it's the greatest problem to have. I feel like such a douche ever saying anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really do, man. I have to say that I loved your album. Spectrum. Oh, um, thank you so much. And one of the things that it did remind me of was when Buckethead released those two albums, Colma and Electric Tears, because it was such a diverse mm. stray away. Have you considered mm. ever doing kind of like an acoustic based album? Uh, not by plan, but there have been compositions that kind of made me think like, if there were many of these or a few more of these, it may have to end up being a whole record or that's just the way that record's going to end up or whatever. I mean, it's just, that's kind of how Spectrum came about too. You know, it just, I had a bunch of tunes that were all different and didn't seem like they really made sense on one record. And that ended up being the common theme. So which was I, I try to let it be a result and not, and not like the original plan. Well, I can't wait to hear what you got coming up with the new songs. And thank you. Yeah. You're an incredible player and you're an incredible thank person. You so much. And it's been thank you. Thank so you. great to meet you and talk to you. It's been so fun. What a fun way to, to just shoot the shit today. I love it. 
you're my last one for today, but I feel like I've been doing a lot of them in a short period of time. So that's why I was like, wait, did we talk about that? Because I can't, yeah, I can't tell if it was today, but they've all been a lot of fun. You guys are, are very like accommodating. So I love it. I just think you're such a talent and, but you, you, your attitude and your positivity just kind of comes through in everything you do. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I, I so appreciate that. That ma made my day. Now I can go on with my day and feel great about it. <laughs> Thank you, Don. It's been awesome. It's been awesome too, Neely. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully I'll get, I'll get to see you in Atlanta. Absolutely. Yes. See you soon. <laughs>